Hi there and welcome to another episode of the GA and Gym podcast. My name is Oshin Quinn and we are now back for I think episode 6 of the podcast um, and so far they've been going good um, and today I think we have another really good one. We have Donegal strength and conditioning coach Paul Fisher on. Um, Paul is a SNC coach based in Letterkenny. He's got a, a great gym and great setup up there so I got the opportunity to go up and meet him there and check out his facilities which was which was amazing um, and then we got to sit down and have a, have a conversation about the work that Paul has been doing with Donegal, how he's got them in such great shape, the methods he's been using, um, and then we get the chat about uh, what individual players can do. So maybe you're not at the county setup, how you can make maybe this preseason the best preseason yet, some of the the methods you can use, and some of the ways to go about it. Um, but it was a really useful podcast. I really enjoyed it. I think me and Paul probably could have chatted for another hour on top of it. You know, it's great when you can get someone like-minded to, to chat about these things so i really enjoyed it and i think it'll be a really useful one to players out there you might want to get a notebook whenever you're uh, listening to this but i would really encourage you to share this with your coaches um as you come up to pre-season now share it with players in your team because it will be a useful one so yeah get it downloaded listen to your own work and um or wherever you want to listen to it but uh, I think it's going to be a really useful one. I think you'll enjoy it. So, yeah, sit back and relax. Um, as always, share it around. Um, my Instagram, Quinn Strength Condition, I'm putting out a ton of information on it too. And we snippets of these podcasts. And then, obviously, in YouTube as well, I'll be putting this out. So, yeah, um, go and follow them for me as well while you're at it. But sit back and enjoy the GEA and Gym podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the GA and Gym podcast. Um, today I'm joined by Donegal's SNC coach, uh, Paul Fisher. Paul, it's good to have you on the podcast. Good man, Ashin. Thanks for coming out. Uh, we're sitting here in uh, Donegal Physiotherapy, Physiotherapy Performance and Performance Centre. Um, I was just seen on Paul's Instagram just a gym, and I thought it was just a gym. And then I came here, and it's got two or three physio rooms, a yoga studio, nutritionist office. It's it's everything. This is some space, like yeah, yeah, it's. Um we're quite proud of it now here in Letterkenny. Um, I suppose it came about, uh, as I was telling you earlier, off there, um, myself and Dermot Sampson and Declan Galler, my colleague on the gym floor, would have been working with Donegal GA and we kinda we always wanted to bring our services together and we thought there was a niche there and, and uh, this place opened up and you know we haven't really looked back since. It's yeah. has that great holistic approach that has a lot of services <coughs> under the one roof. I think that's a big thing. You, you literally have you have everything here, like the physio rooms connected to the gym, and then you have everything upstairs. We're we're currently sitting in like a wee a wee chill out room here, which is is pretty cool as well. It's it's definitely a good idea to have that that place that has everything under one roof, like isn't it? Yeah, and that's I suppose that was the whole idea of it. Uh, Dermot now, the the guy that had the original physio business, would be based in Aspatar, and he's seen it. You know they work out there it was a very holistic approach it was a lot of referrals from service to service and you know keeping the client or keeping the athlete under the one roof and everybody sharing notes and passing information on it was only going to improve the athlete or you know increase their the chance of coming back and a successful return to play or whatever it may be if it's just your general public coming back and you know some of the sort back or whatever it was that they would get the best of care under all under the one roof yeah you know. um and you've been doing Donegal's SNC now for a couple of years how did you how did you originally get into doing that there yeah so I suppose this is my sixth season as head SNC um I suppose how it came about is a wee bit like your own path is uh after I finished up my degree uh in sports and exercise science I did it through Jordanstown 
um, Jim McGuinness happened to be a previous lecturer of mine um, and I gave him an email and I just said uh, you know I'm kind of interested in going down there with strength and conditioning how uh, how would you be fixing give me you know an opportunity to come in and the time he had already employed an SNC coach so he says there's an SNC guy there uh, you're more than welcome to come out and intern or shadow him mm-hmm. so that's basically <coughs> how it came about I uh, interned and shadowed from 2011 right through to 2015 I was there thereabouts covering regional sessions um, and after Jim's kind of time came to an end Rory came in um, I was known to the players I was known to Rory so I suppose maybe I was next in line um, and that's I got the phone call in October, uh, September, or October time, after they'd beat, been beaten in the Ireland final in September. So it was a bit of a, you know, thrown out the deep yeah. end. Um, but as I said I haven't really looked back. I've been going into my sixth season now, all going well, and uh, really looking forward to that now. You've had a couple of, w- even in your own time as a head, you've had a couple of also championships, hasn't there been? Yeah, so uh, my, my, my first two years, as I said, I came in off the back, you know, we were on the crest of a wave in Donegal at the time. We had, we had three Ulsters, I think, over the first four years uh, in All Ireland, beating an Ireland final, and then around an Ulster final in 2015, beating narrowly, lose an Ulster final in 2016 narrowly, um, you know, pretty bad year the year after that, you know, uh, things kind of didn't go well for us. We were beating heavily in Ulster by Tyrone, um, beating in Galway, or by Galway down in Sligo, you know, at that stage you're thinking, you know, is this the turn? But since Declan came in we got that bit of a freshness back in and you know here we are we have two back-to-back Ulsters now you yeah know, you know for me as an S&C coach having lost two and then been nowhere near it you're thinking is it ever going to happen and yeah after one and two in a row now I mean you're you're just over the moon how does that feel you know it's a kind of unique unique part as as being on the coaching team like how does it feel whenever you, you get that Ulster one you know is it do you still get that same that same amazing feeling from it or is it a different sort of thing no it is like um i suppose for me it's always i always think it's about the players number one and like for the players to be involved in losing those two also friends you kind of get a sense of what it's like to lose them and you know how much they put on that yeah i mean you're just a big part of that um for them to lose it and to see like i suppose the happiness in the changing rooms and to see them with their family and i suppose no different to myself seeing my loved ones after the game and stuff but to see them get back something um it's just if you could bottle it up it'll be just it'll be priceless like it really is yeah. and it's such a big thing and Donegal is to go after an Ulster title I mean it's it's not as if we're, we're rich in them compared to other counties mm-hmm. so you have to make the most of every one on the one and we have like it's um, at least I, uh, if and when my time is up now I have something there you know for the hard work as well which is nice definitely I think as well you know always growing up playing you, you, you dream of one of them games and you know sometimes it just doesn't happen like as a player but it's amazing to be able to help other players get that there, isn't it? It is. I mean, <laughs> I think I've heard that a couple of times in different podcasts. As S&C coaches, a lot of times, are on the nicest way possible field athletes. <laughs> uh, in the way that, you know, they've played at a certain level or they've been close. But, you know, they just never got over the line. So, I suppose for myself, I was always a soccer player and played a wee bit of like I was never going to be at that level. Yeah. Um. So, when I decided to go down the route of coaching... I suppose it's the next best thing having an Ulster title as an Ulster title whether you yeah. know, for me as a coach it's you know it's obviously my highest accolade to date um, I hold it in high regard at this stage like you yeah. know and hopefully hopefully more to come as well 
Yeah, well, as I said to you, Mark, last week, hopefully not at the expense of dairy. <laughs> now, like, um, so whenever you, you have that group, you know, when you're coming into pre-season now in the next uh, probably couple of weeks, months, what's the first thing you'll be doing with the team whenever they come into the gym? Well, usually, as I said, we, we, our squad, depending on how many new players in that come into it, um, we would have a good grip on you know where guys are at off the back of one season to the next um we'll keep a close eye on club championship mm-hmm. on maybe injury fronts and stuff like that um, and uh-huh. we'll keep a constant contact on maybe their strength routines and stuff um so when they come in um again we usually just go straight out and get a, a couple of lifting sessions or a couple of strength sessions on them we can kind of gauge where they're at from there um maybe sometimes we go down the more formal route for some of the newer players and get a bit of testing done with them yes um, you might do some functional movement screening and you might do some strength lift you might do get some profiles on their speed and power type stuff again it's just to rank them and the squad compared to everybody else really. yeah again, i don't think that's any different from even most club teams nowadays are are starting the season off with a bit of testing or a bit of profile in the sense that right we need to find out what we're not good at to get better at yeah you, know? y- you see whenever you're doing that screening what's What's the kind of key things you're looking for? You know, is there anything that you see in, in players that maybe haven't done gym work that you think that's something that needs to be improved, or is there anything that you look at that's something that that needs to be there before they can play? If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I suppose the the, the first big red flag for us, um, and more on the, the medical side, would be previous injuries. Mm-hmm. Once you've recognised the previous injuries, you can relate that screening process more to it. So if a guy's coming in and he has chronic hamstring issues, you know, you look at his movement patterns, you look at where he's lacking movement or mobility. Most athletes in general target the same areas from mobility, so it's usually their ankle uh-huh. and around their hip complex and then their thoracic spine or their upper back. Again, we'd be no while different. You would look what kind of range of movement they have in those areas. Um, once you're happy enough with the range or if you th- you have to have an intervention, you do so. But you go after then, are they stable in the other joints? Yeah. You know, as well as being mobile in the hips, have they the strength and stability in their hips to control their knees during an overhead squat pattern? You know, can they keep their heels down? Can they have that stability of their foot? Are they able to get in a nice overhead position and yeah. then back falling forward? Very, very basic stuff like that. Again, if you get a flag there, a red flag, and you see something in particular, you can have an intervention or a, a test to go further that route. Yes. So if it is um, a hamstring for example, you might want to look at, you know, their activation kind of process, you know, is it coming from, I know it's a bit cliche, but is there uh, the hip strength through hip extension, can mm-hmm. they extend through the glutes via the hamstring, you know, all these kind of stuff that's a wee bit more specific, maybe, yeah. the player itself. Yeah, and then I suppose, like, whenever you get into it, that's how you really probably individualise the programme then, is it? You know, if, yeah. if a player has that hamstring issue or an ankle issue, that's how you really make the programme individual then, probably? That's it, and again, as a coach, um, <coughs> you know, just knowing or having that information on hand, how you coach that athlete might be different, you know. So again, the coaching cues you give them might have, might apply more to w- where they're weak at, you know. If it is, yes. uh, if the squat pattern, you might want to spend a bit more time coaching that, you mm-hmm. know. Um, even how you coach it, whether do you fire external cues at them, do you get hands on in terms of getting them into the position, do you regress the squat movement compared to everybody else? There's, I mean, that's really down to I suppose the coach. Yeah. Um, how we work in, in Donegal is you have regional coaches like so 
every coach has to be able to do that. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's not just me, that's everybody. Yeah. How hard is that to do in a group session? You know, like when you have uh, some of the lads that have been here for a couple of years and their movement's probably great, and then you have lads that maybe have just come in and it's not that, not where it needs to be. You know, how do you do a group session but keep the intensity in it but also cater to them kind of different needs like? Sometimes it kind of happens fairly naturally as the the senior players or the the, the, the guys with a higher training age will kind uh-huh. of be grouped they kind of stay yes, together uh-huh, a bit. Yeah. Um, so again that requires less coaching mm-hmm. those guys can nearly coach their way through a wee bit and say the the guys with a, a low training age like zero maybe one years you can spend a bit more time with them and again group them accordingly so say for example even on our gym floor it might look like bay one two three and four has four different groups working out of it yeah. but they all might have something some different reason for being in that yeah. bay, you know. Um, we small things like that there. Obviously, educating the player to know what he needs extra of. Um, any inter county player now that gives up so much that they do is well versed and understands that if they need to improve something, they usually do it. You know, you don't have to stand over them. And yeah. I suppose that's one thing that you're blessed with as a coach that you've really, really driven athletes coming in day yeah. in, day out. And as long as they think they're going to get a an enhancement of performance out of it or they're going to be less likely to get injured they'll go do it yeah you're bought into it then that, that makes it a lot easier for you like doesn't yeah. it yeah. Um, and then like whenever you're doing those group sessions how does that work uh, logistically have you got like we have so many lads doing work on the the rigs will there be lads and dumbbells or is it just going through kind of set uh, like circuits or, or programs, you know, what way does yeah. a group session work? Again, it probably depends. I know it's a, 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 wild, a wild uh-huh. strange answer, but it does depend. depends on the time of the season, what type of session it is, <coughs> you know, is it pre-pitch, is it after the pitch? Um, well, one of the things w- w- we're not lucky with in the sense that we have to try and cram a lot of work into the given week yeah. or given we're the, the amateur athletes is, you know, you might do a double session. So if we're coming off the pitch and doing a bit of gym work, we tend to go with a more circuit format. Yes. The guys are coming warm, keep them warm, just keep them moving through it and get the work into them. Make their high days a high and give them a, a day off or you know a, a low day thereafter. Yeah. Um, other days it might be a bit more focused where you might have, you pair up a strength exercise with more of a prehab or an individual type exercise. Mm-hmm. So the guys can focus, go on and you know get their big primary lift or big compound lift done and they can step out and take a bit of a breather, you know, for maybe two or three minutes before they go back in. Um, you could get the group rotating through that way, and once that group's done with their primaries, they can move on, get some accessory work done, yeah, and then just keep that kind of a flow going as well. I mean, that's just one of two methods. Again, it completely depends. We don't always have the gym session here in our facility. It might be in a gym that we're just in it for the day, uh-huh. so it could come down heavily to what's there, what logistics. Yeah, how many guys are training that all, day yeah. you know yeah. I mean, if I was to take Donegal GA to your gym would it be a very different session to what I yes. do here yeah. normally you know Aye. but again it wouldn't be that different in terms of what you're t- what you're targeting yeah. to do uh-huh. it's just how you how you get that effect yeah I know what you mean and then with that I know it's it sounds like a very kind of basic question but what's the end goal with the team like as an SNC coach what is your job there like you know is it just as simple as just get them stronger or what is the goal i suppose all snc coaches is the their, their roles twofold you, you want to improve their performance number mm-hmm. one by getting strong and um, obviously getting strong then how do you apply that or how do you get 
transfer that strength to your more power and speed and your yeah. agility type components and then the other one is try to reduce the risk of injury I mean I think that's all S&C coach's yeah. job keep them on the pitch big time um, I think the, the it's a bit of an analogy but your best ability is availability um, yeah. I think that stands you know and for me anyway when you see when you have such big name players you can't afford to injure these guys by doing something off the cuff or you know, in the gym where you can't be missing nights of training because of something you've done in the gym. So, yeah. you know, you have to play that line, you know, what's the risk of this versus the reward? For a lot of the time, if anybody come in and watch our sessions, they'll be thinking, God, they're doing very basic stuff. But It's a basic's done well over time, isn't it? Well. I think it was one of the coaches would follow Brett Bartholomew. Yeah. Uh, he used to be involved with Exos, came out with, like, just do the basics savagely well <laughs> and I, I would just be really, really hammer home that point a lot of the time and yeah I think that's something that um, players are maybe confused by like whenever they see you know even when you, like whenever I put up videos on Instagram if they already see your sessions they're probably thinking like oh, they do squats and trap or deadlifts and, yep. and lunges you know I think sometimes people think that has to be something crazy and there has to be this crazy method that no one's heard about but it, it is it's as simple as do the basics do them well and do them consistently definitely I mean if you want to put it on a spectrum like 90% of your stuff should be stuff that is evidence based has been around for a while if you want to play around with some stuff you know stuff that maybe as an S&C coach you're just learning more about give them that 10% yeah. but the bulk of your program and for me anyway should be based around you know the fundamentals of getting strong and that is your push pull and squat yeah do some of that on a single leg mm-hmm. do some of your core stuff do some of your carries i mean how you how you d- that difference from team to team is basically on your exercise selection um w- how you and when you do it stuff like that there but i think as far as i'm aware everybody's doing the same thing yeah i think so like i think so it's just doing we slight variations but there isn't probably I would imagine at that top county level, most of the sessions look pretty identical. Like, you know, if you look at, I mean, we're as close to as professional sport as you can get without going pro. Yeah. And um, you know, I've spent a bit of time with a couple of pro teams last September. I was down in Leinster rugby, and you know, far resources and everything else. And obviously, the guys are at a higher training age. Yeah. But like, it's very, very encouraging to go down and spend some time with those kind of teams and see, you know, that they are trying to do those things you know yeah. try to put the same protocols in place in terms of maybe when they come in and you know asking them how they are they good to go and if you have to regress sessions based on you know some screening type stuff you're, you're, that's what you're trying to do yeah. you know it's you definitely no magic bullets out there and you go on YouTube and look up any of the right. teams and you know you're never too far off it no, and I, I think now as well, the fact that you can go down and chat to them teams and that there's so much information out there, the standard of that strength condition is only going to improve over the next few while, whereas, you know, maybe in years before, people didn't know the information wasn't as available and there was a lot of maybe stupid things done, they put it politely, you know, whereas now people know you don't have to do anything crazy, you just do the basics and do them well, like. Definitely, I mean, again, <laughs> I would say... Uh, most S and C coaches will will learn this at some point in terms of uh, I, I've learned it the last couple of years. There's guys coming out of college. I think I've said this here. There's guys coming out of college now. Yeah. That I'm coaching with S and C qualifications. Yeah. There's guys with masters, um, and you know they're coming to you, and you just can't bluff anybody anymore. You know, um, 
they're sending you more links than anything. You know, they, they're coming across a link on Twitter and they're sending you this and saying, are we doing this or are we not doing yeah. it? You know, they're constantly challenging you. And that's suppose for me as an SC coach can only make you better and make you more in tune with what the players want, not so much as what they need. But, you know, if they're, if some guys is coming to you with more speed stuff, you know, are they inclined to think, maybe yeah. do they want a bit more of this stuff? Or, you know, I'd say most SNC coaches will, at this level, you know, with the players that they're that have under them is going to experience that at some point. It's yeah, I think it's uh, it's an important point for any coaches out there too, is that like you have to have a way behind everything you do. You know, so if you go in the gym and you go, we're going to do such and such, and someone goes away and you haven't got an answer, you lose so much credibility in that. Like that. You know, you have to have a way behind everything, don't you, like? Oh, definitely, definitely. Otherwise, as I said, there's no, they wouldn't think twice about just calling you straight out on it, like, and yeah. rightfully so. Yeah, and definitely. Rightfully so. Um, what would the kind of basic? I don't want you to give away your program, but you know, in terms of structure of a session, is it kind of like a power block, strength bar block? You know, what sort of way would a, a session be structured? Um, I suppose again, it'll depend on what time of season it is. Um, say say preseason for example. Preseason, yeah. So preseason, we we tend to spend a lot of time on our strength. Uh-huh. Um, again, depending on the training age of the athlete. Um. Some guys might do more maximal strength. Other guys will do strength plus a bit of hypertrophy. Yeah. Um. But again, it would come down more to the individual what they need. Mm-hmm. I'd be a big fan. And again, I would have picked this up with Lance Rugby of getting guys relatively strong. So you're not concerned about absolutes. You're just yes. really getting guys strong compared to their body their weight. Their body weight. Obviously, yeah. maybe a goal for that guy is to increase his body weight. So you want to get him stronger at the same time. But I suppose we wouldn't really focus much more in pre-season other than that there maybe some sort of um conditioning element to it as well you know a wee bit of endurance type yeah stuff. um again that would be just to build i suppose the engine for when you're ready to go back to the pitch that your heart and lungs have been there yes and, yes you know um i would be a big fan of tempo type stuff um uh-huh. a la joe jameson's kind of a work you know yes uh, he would he would have found that you know two down two up type tempo or a two concentric eccentric tempo mm-hmm. has huge gains in your cardiovascular output you know so stuff like that maybe on your big strength lifts as well yeah again, it means you can keep the volume i.e your sets and reps but you're still getting time under tension into those muscle groups so yeah it's so it's a kind of a unique way as well well right, so like whenever you're saying two down two up so that would be like if you were doing a deadlift uh it would be two seconds on the way down one second the way up and you do that for kind of multiple reps in yeah exactly so just adds a wee bit more kind of adds a wee bit more time into the work and say a wee bit more quality doesn't it it does and again you can still stay within you know whatever rep range again if you're looking at a total set of 24 reps for per se like, yes you know you could be working still your four sets of six or if you want to for lower body come right down and do six sets of four uh-huh. it's a real high quality set yes. um, but there's loads of time under tension in there and again you're still getting that mark of 24 reps you know yeah um pre-season will be a good enough time to do that but given that you know that two second eccentric can bring about some soreness and some doms yeah okay so um uh, it's usually a good time to get it in as well because yeah don't want to be feeling that when they have to combine that we're maybe going back to doing some conditioning or would you um would you ever kind of do any like the caldate stuff where you would maybe do like uh, an eccentric block or an isometric block or is that do you think uh again just something that's maybe a wee bit too far ahead or no no i i have used that i'd probably use it further down the track in the yes. season again um given that you want to be able to 
manage loads of you know when around your 80 percent so it's a load that you can manage for six reps or whatever it is again you want to have that base if you go straight on it that in pre-season maybe you know the guy's just not able to manage that load yeah um whereas i would use that kind of maybe mid-season heading towards the championship you know depending how your league's going again every league campaign throws up a different spanner and you know a different schedule so depending on how many weeks you have to work but i have done that in the past where you've done two weeks eccentric two weeks isos two weeks concentric yeah um and w- that might lead into just an out and out block of power then mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it gives you a good base for that yeah um you see back in that kind of the bodyweight work is in like doing lifts relative to your bodyweight is there any kind of standards that you work for um you know whether it be certain lifts that you want to do per bodyweight or anything like that um again we would make them relative to bodyweight so i suppose i can give you the example for upper body is you know for guys to be strong enough that we feel are strong enough we like to be from the bench 1.3 times their body weight okay um on their chin up then you might want them to go one and a half times their body weight Mm -hmm. you know so that's obviously as a chin up with an external load yeah um that would be just some of them again there's loads of research out there and you can kind of create your own bands yes depending on what lifts you use depending on what level of athlete obviously if you you're going to work with underage guys or academy type players their their bands are going to be slightly yeah. you know, lower um whereas if the commander senior we just see the bigger and stronger guys has has that level and you can kind of use that nearly as a baseline that we need to try and get boys to this level yeah um once they're there i mean it might take guys a couple of seasons to get there not necessarily going to happen overnight or over a couple of weeks but as long as you have a target or you're, you're you know you're chasing that target um just means then that the guys that are already there they have a slightly different focus yeah you know you're you're pretty confident that they can be doing a bit more of the, the power type stuff given that they have a good strength base there whereas the guys that aren't maximally strong yet or aren't don't have that strength level there you just have to keep trying going after that that wee bit at a time yeah i think that's a good way of kind of thinking about it too because like i was chatting about in a few of the podcasts where you, you do wonder like how important is is strength work and you know where do you draw the line with it but i think having that idea of you know the certain uh the certain measurements in relation to your body weight's a good way of thinking that's that's strong enough you know whereas you don't have to turn into a powerlifting specialist yeah. but you just have to get to that certain level like yeah i mean it's a question how strong is strong enough yeah that's you it know, and again everybody's different i mean there's some players in here that you know might never hit uh, 1.3 times weight on their bench you know yeah. again you have to be weigh that up like we talked about earlier as a risk here of us really really chasing this upper body strength score for a gaelic football player you know you just have to use a bit yeah. of common sense on that as well um i think it's good to have close. standards as well like isn't it you know something to aim for but it's i suppose that's where the coaching comes in where you need to know the player too isn't like it and the style of player there i mean again if it's a player that is inherently really really explosive uh-huh. you know and you're you're looking for this max effort you know this guy if you hooked him up to you know push ban or a tendo you'll see that he can he can move his 80 percent load faster than anybody yeah. else but he just can't do it for the many reps you know you have to weigh up there right, what they want more from this guy you know yeah I mean, and every team you look at the guys that you know that is probably getting away with doing a wee bit less in the gym mm-hmm. versus the guys that needs the gym yeah you know versus the boys that are just has years of gym done that it, you know they're just naturally stronger looking every, every yeah. team will have those yeah i'm trying to do the math in my head as we talk here if i'm strong enough <laughs> to play for Donegal. 
I'm not sure. <laughs> I didn't say they were our standards. Hypothetically, they were standards. <laughs> Hypothetically. <laughs> Hopefully, they're lower and I might be able to. Um, <laughs> yeah, so another part that's sort of, I think, very important is that robustness works at injury prevention. What's the kind of key things in, in injury prevention that the players should be looking at, say, now over the pre-season? I think this pre-season, in-season, <laughs> you know, it's nearly all the same when it comes to being robust. Uh-huh. Um, I suppose the whole idea of r- robustness has been conditioned to train at the level you want to train at. Uh-huh. Um, so, again, there's evidence out there to show in our sport. I mean, I think, I, I, I don't know, this is a kind of guy you might be able to want to chat to on your podcast, Mark Rowe, mm-hmm. um, is putting out some great information there, but he would have been down here and did a talk with us last year and we talked about you know the most common injuries in GAA yeah. and you know that should be the basis I mean that's evidence based these injuries are common so those are the, the places that the sites that you want to target to avoid those injuries what so what was the common areas um, hamstrings is number one and then you go into the groin yeah. um, and then you go into your quads and then you go down to your calves and ankles so again it's all yeah. down to the lower limb you have some upper body stuff as well but they're, they're not as common so again I think that's across most field kind of team sports yeah. hamstrings is number one I mean you see it in the AFL you see it even now and you know NFL and stuff yeah. you're seeing more and more of yeah. it um, so again that would be one of the, the big places we would target and again there's loads of ways going about it you know your eccentric type strengthening uh-huh. would be a big one for us on that um, I know Nordics is kind of a bit of a buzz at the minute and there's arguments is it the, the B and A on end of all it's probably not, but it yeah. definitely helps. You know, it's a big part. Yeah, I was but reading. I was reading actually yesterday one of them, uh, one of Louis Simmons' books, and they were chatting about the Nordic, and he was saying that it's really not that effective unless you can control that last wee section of it, which is where most people will fail to control it. Yeah. You know, so I think with something like a Nordic, you have to be careful, isn't it? You know, with a lot of these movements, if you're not doing it properly, it doesn't really it's matter. Like everything else, really. yeah. And to be fair, now there are physio would be hard on that stuff when it comes to the prehab and the robustness yeah. would be you know it comes down to technique say on the Nordic you want to get your hips into that tilt or the tilt the yes. back posteriorly hold that position as you fall down mm-hmm. a lot of guys will go into that anterior tilt ass out kind of a posture and yeah. fall um, so hamstrings would be one um, again the groin's been a kicking sport mm-hmm. um, and a high speed running sport can, can um, obviously give a wee bit of baller so you would target that Again, another good exercise and well versed and well backed up as the Copenhagen. Yeah. Um, I know what I've seen on your Instagram. You would have done mm-hmm. variations of it, and that's why it's nice. There's there's a kind of an access point for uh, any level of athlete. Yes. Uh, you can go in. You, you know, short lever, more of an isometric type mm-hmm. stuff to get real advanced long lever with a hip hitch type stuff. Um, again, depending on the athlete, depending on what time of the week you do those, is there a lot of fatigue in it? You know, yeah. You have to figure out where you do that work. And then for the calves, I suppose the the big take home is the calves is one I really really got common in the last couple of years. I have, uh, I mean, yeah, I know when I first started done a goal, we weren't as concerned. It mm-hmm. seems a bit, but and again, it's all across the board now on Instagram. It's yeah, you know, yeah. all the guys that puts out information on prehab type stuff. They're they're going after, and I suppose what they're highlighting is you you want to be getting after it with two ways, straight leg and a, a bent knee. Yes, um, just to target the you know the soleus and the gastronomist so um, that'll be the two big ones but again I don't think that's anything different than anybody else is doing yeah um, club players um, I would have a club come in here on Monday night um, 
pre-season you would have really hit that stuff mm-hmm. again because you know you're going to be asking them to do a lot of conditioning stuff through those muscles yeah. you know through the calves where you're doing maybe the longer slower running you're going to need that bit of mm-hmm. strength and maybe more so the wee bit of conditioning through it likewise in the hamstrings the one thing we, I suppose I touched on there was the Nordics but like being able to sprint maximally and all that yeah um that's and it's and it's own is a bit of hamstring conditioning, you know. Yeah, sprint vaccine, velocity. isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you have to be able to get there a couple of times a week, probably. As mm-hmm. a, I think somebody used the word as a vaccine mm-hmm. to not pull on that hamstring. And again, it's not that it's going to definitely still a risk and a chance of doing it. So many factors. Yeah. There, but it's definitely going to give you a chance of reducing the risk anyway. I think so. Like I, I think that just a good example of it. I think for players is that like, you know, if if you're going out to do a game and it's where you're sprinting, you're going you know plus seven eight k, but in your trainings you never sprint, you never really go that hard. You haven't conditioned your body that, so your chance of injury is so much higher. Yeah. Whereas at least in your training, if you're if you are doing lots of sprints or at least high quality sprints. And you're doing a decent level of uh, covering a decent level of ground. You do minimise that risk, like don't you, big time? Oh, definitely. I I watched a small clip last week of uh, Leicester City, um, who basically they were chatting about how they apply their GPS and what information they're getting off it. And it was one of the things that they, they touched on was the max velocity. And you know they went about they would do two efforts at the end of training on a certain day in the week mm-hmm. so basically on a soccer pitch it would be from their eight from the, the side of the 18 yard box they run right through to the far side yes um that's at the end of their session at isn't the it? end of their session there's been a few people have kind of like debated that hasn't there For whether or not that should be at the start or the end again i suppose as an injury prevention it probably just as you touched on does it make sense doing that at the end yeah probably does to a certain degree i mean what's stopping um like midfielder 65 66 77 minutes into a game you know having to sprint yeah you know you're an extra time or at a time of a club game and you're asked to get from the 45 to the 45 as quick as possible right if you haven't been there before what's going to happen if you go there you know yeah, that's the thing i think there's it's fine that line between sometimes you you maybe feel like you have to protect players but sometimes that could be the worst thing to do as a coach yeah, isn't it like yeah. it's finding that line between how do you give them everything they need but not protect them to the point that they're they're like when they go to those levels they're going to break down like yeah i think uh mladen janovic uses the word do you want to be anti-fragile yeah is the word like and you yeah. know i suppose it, it, it makes sense you know the, the one thing i suppose with those guys applying the max velocity the, the those leicester guys the, they were really recording 90 percent efforts uh-huh. again there was going to be a bit of fatigue there you know, if you want to have a PB or if you want to go after your 100% efforts, probably earlier in the session is going to be... Yeah, when, when you're freshest. That. You know, as you said, if you have six or seven kilometres in the... Should you really be able to sprint maximally at the end of the training? Probably not. You know, yeah. You're hitting a personal best at the end. Uh-huh. Fair dues, like you've done yeah. something right. Yeah. Um, just quickly, what's... Uh, you know, uh, do you do a wee bit of work with the minors in the 21s, don't you? Or you have a bit of a hand in that there? In previous years, I would have yeah. had a wee bit more. Um, what, what would be the kind of, you know, for someone younger, listen, we're maybe chatting about a bit more advanced stuff for senior players. Like, if you're a minor player, what's the things that you should be working on or aiming towards as a as a Gaelic player? Like? Again, just doing something is a, a good enough start. Yeah. Um, I, I know uh, with most teams, I know even on the road and 
there they have like fairly decent academy setups and stuff that's guiding players through that long traumatic development pathway yes i think the, the, the big thing is a wee bit of structure um i mean there was times last year we would have had a group of minors in here in a Monday night and the seniors or they were overlapping into the seniors and i would like to think you know they were looking in and other than maybe slightly heavier weights and stuff they weren't doing anything that different yeah you know they were still as i said pushing pulling squatting hinging um exercise selection again might be slightly more advanced given the athletes in front of them but apart from that no i would really really master the basics yeah and be progressive again don't go mad looking at absolute values don't go after this you know if you're a 65 kilo athlete and you see you know one of your senior players benching 100 kilos that's an absolute to maybe a guy that's weighing 90 yeah. kilos don't get too bogged down in that like look yeah. look after yourself number one and if you're making small improvements you know week to week month by month season to season they just add up you know yeah that would be my big advice to them anyway i think that's it like it's just those and we've said it about 10 times now but it's the basics you know you do the basics long enough and you do them well and you take a long-term approach you will get good results from it like yeah and i think that's you know we've had a few of the players come through i would have had them from a minor grade um and again i think that you know the size and that that comes with these players is a, a bit of a byproduct of their strength yes so it's, it's not a case that we're trying to get them bigger uh -huh. it just, just happens, happens. Yeah. you know they get a nearly chat in terms of bodybuilding they, they get a thickness in their muscle that you can't really train yeah acutely you can't go after it you can get i suppose that hypertrophy effect of that pump and that you mm -hmm. know the higher rep ranges but is that making them stronger is it making them better athletes questionable you know whereas yeah i think it's hard you know like and it's the first thing that people will probably hit a player for if they have a bad game is that they're too big or this is happening but then when they play well it'll be the first thing they say so it's i think you just have to you know yourself if you if it's affecting you negatively or positively but um i think as a player if you take that long-term approach working the basics it'll always pay off like yeah i suppose the, the big thing we really have to hit is me and you could chat probably all day regarding s and z but and hi, you know on the on a spectrum it's a it's not the be and end of all it's still Definitely. a pretty small part of being a high level athlete uh, it's you know it's it's one of those wee percentages like isn't it, it is that's what it is like it's still coming down to you know how hungry is the player how driven are they do they really want to do the gym work as the gym work a chore to them you know have they that intrinsic motivation to, to say you know if i want to be a better player can i push myself that wee bit harder in the gym yeah and, you know that as a coach you know you see that in players not every player has that you see it in some yeah again that's what i suppose really really needs to be headed into something i would have learned you know having lost ulster finals and stuff and you know you read the tabloids about the team being unfit or they mm -hmm, look tired yeah. and you're like we didn't do anything different this year to that year and you know you just have to think like there's so many different factors that affects a game other than that like a big time like you know big time i think that's the first thing you know when a team loses it it always comes down to fitness or or something like that but that is technically what the other team is trying to do is they're trying to draw you out and make you work harder yeah, and exactly go after your weaknesses or whatever it may be yeah I, I i would joke like there's a couple of players like you know when you get in touch with them now in a couple of weeks we're getting back to the gym and like sure the weights is not going to kick the ball over the bar uh, you know this uh, this thing but that's that's not what it's about i mean i had this conversation with my club team at the start of the year i said we're not you know we're 
we know it's not going to kick the ball over yeah. the bar. That's what that's what the coaches is there for. But it's going to give you a chance to kick the ball over the bar in terms of being able to train and play at that level. You that's know? that's it. Like yeah, I sometimes get it. I do the Q and A's on Sundays on Instagram, and like you always get told once like, well, we can't kick a weight over the bar. And you're like, fair <laughs> enough. I, I get I get that. But like, what's keeping you on the pitch? You yeah. know, and what's what's making you perform that wee bit better and it's the same as like when we were at uh, Mark's last week for the recovery and then uh, next week in the podcast Connor Neal does a nutritionist it's all wee small percentages yeah. but we small percentages add up in the big gains like that's the one like and if you see somebody who's applying all those again the chances is that's one of the top guys or it's the guys that's yeah. getting the, the, the rewards out of it you know it's you'll, you'll literally only get out what you ever put into it you know that's it. Yeah, I think if you have if you have ambitions within football to go anywhere with it, you have to take the approach that you are an athlete and a professional athlete. And if you're not yeah, doing yeah. the work that other people are, you can expect to get the same results. Well, that's it. Like, and again, as I've already said earlier in the podcast, you're as close to professional. I mean, the conversations I had with, again, looking up one of the guys in Leinster as a close friend of mine, I would have been a college with uh, me and your brother, Mark. Yeah. Um, you know, the big thing that you'd be jealous of is just them being able to do it under a bit more time and you know when it comes to not as rushed and, and everyone in the one space and all and yeah, yeah. It, you know it, it makes applying everything that way a bit easier for the athlete itself but they're still doing the same as we're doing do you know what probably the, the, the toughest thing is I'm sure for yourself and NAS and C coaches within uh, Ireland you could be pitting your like lads say in the club through this program or you could be pitting someone doing a goal boys through it but then maybe tomorrow night they go down and they are playing soccer match. Maybe they're going the next day and they go and decide to do a CrossFit session. The next day they're going doing something else. Yeah. Whereas, like when you're a professional setup, you know exactly what the players are doing, so you can program it properly. Whereas, it's so hard for a, a gale coach to be able to, especially within club, to be able to manage that load because you have no idea what people are doing. Like club level, the nightmare to be honest. Like it's, you know. Never mind their activities in the sporting world. It's what they do away from that as yeah. well. Like you know, you could have. I mean, if you have a game on a Saturday night, what they do on the Sunday, they, they, they might go play soccer. But what they do on the Sunday night, then and you're expecting back in the gym on a Monday evening, you know. And that's it. Uh, you know, it's again, at the, you know, w- w- when I was a a younger and naive S and C coach, you used to annoy me. Yeah, that used to annoy me. I was like, Jesus, boys, I'm only looking for an hour in the week, but I'm a wee bit more r- relaxed about it now. I think. I'll give my time and attention to the people who want it. Yes. To a certain degree where you're not going to try and brainwash anybody who you're, who's who's there because the club's there that night or whatever it is. It's you just same way as you would take, you know, the the headlines in the paper. You just take it on the chin now and keep trying to do your best for the athletes that who appreciate and know that you're doing your best. I think uh, I think that's enough in the sense that yeah. if they know that you're and it for the right reasons and all you want out of it is to help them as an athlete I think you'll get that back from them then whereas yeah. if it's the guys it's not really you know arsed about it don't you be arsed about them and see how it goes for them yeah you know it's yeah it's a good way of looking at it how much your time spent in the gym versus on the pitch like you do much pitch work with the lads um again depending on what time of the season it is uh, you would you would be you would do a good bit of the kind of conditioning work then yeah so, so you would you basically have a warm up normally have a speed block and then if and when did you do any conditioning uh-huh. um, you'd work closely obviously with the coaches on that end and you know is the conditioning done with a football is it done without a football um, if you're not needed kind of mainly in the pitch there with the coaches um, you might be helping out the physios with some some guys yeah. working on the side of the pitch doing some 
running or conditioning on their pathway to return to play, I suppose. Yeah, and um, what would the kind of conditioning look like for the team? You know, is there any, like, would you do a lot of tempo work or is there any particular style of work that you do? You know, how, what would the structure of the conditioning look like, uh, say, pre-season? Again, pre-season, I would say we're quite quite similar. Again, I, I could even speak here in a, a sense the club and county. Mm-hmm. Um, we would use a lot of MAS type stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, what in involves getting some sort of baseline figure on where the guy's max aerobic speed is. Yeah. Um, and then you'd base the conditioning off that. Uh-huh. Um, earlier in the season, you'd work more of a, a slower, you know, you wouldn't be going super maximal, yeah. as they call it. So you're working around the 100, 110% MAS. Um, for maybe longer intervals, 20, uh-huh. 30 second bouts, um, maybe with some active recovery. Yeah. And then as you know, as you progress towards more game-based stuff, you'll be starting to put in you know, super maximal bouts for shorter duration with passive recoveries, mm-hmm. you know, just to get that HSR, that high-intensity running up and under. Yeah. There's like a, a lot of coaches will be either kind of like tempo running or that uh, mass run we're chatting about. How come you went for that mass run over something like tempo, for example? I think there's a time and place for both. Uh-huh. Um, I think we, 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 we have run some tempos before, um, again, both club and county. Um, depending on the level of athlete and how long you have to work with them and stuff, um, I just find the MAS stuff is more accountable. Okay. In terms of you know if you you're tested and your your score is four point five meters per second and I give you a, a target I, I I give you a line to get to every time yeah you know you're working them at a certain percentage uh-huh. tempos you know if uh, if you go down that typical route, right we're going to run hundred meters um eighteen to twenty seconds well, uh-huh. some guys will run that in sixteen and other guys will run it in twenty yeah you know how do you know there who's getting who's getting yeah so percentage? it keeps uh, keeps everyone on the kind of their own structured line basically if that makes sense it just means that you know the guys are really really needed they're, they're you're going to be pushing them that wee bit harder you know if if you have three groups say uh, and you're running 20 second intervals and you have a guy running at 110 a group at 105 and a group at 102 you know what i mean those guys you know you might challenge the guys at the end over the last two reps right you're getting there can you get into the next group straight away you've overloaded them to a certain yeah. degree and whether you get a response out of that or not i suppose the one depending on your, your training schedule but I think it just keeps boys more accountable in the sense that listen I know where you're at and for you to get better you need to hit this line continuously Yeah. versus tempo where some guys can literally go through the most I, I, I think tempo is very good for the other side of stuff in terms of ingraining good running mechanics and stuff like that there Yeah. you might use that more of an active recovery type night you know where mm-hmm. again you're not maybe chasing as much volume and you can do a 3b8 100 type thing Whereas usually with the MAS, you're chasing higher volume. Yeah, you know. yeah. Um, I suppose that it probably maybe depends a bit on the team that you have and the level of players you have too, to an extent, like, doesn't it? But there's probably pros and cons to, to both methods. Like, I'm sure there's people that'll agree with that and people that won't agree with it, but it's applying it to your team is the big thing. Like, whatever method you choose, isn't it? It is. And again, uh, I suppose you have to have methods of backing that up so we'll go back to you know earlier when we chat about doing maybe some sort of testing like Mm -hmm. as part of that might be a fitness testing so if you can show your coaches you know if you doesn't matter what you do between your pre and post test if you can show them improvement you know you have the wee bit of I suppose confidence and encouragement coming off their their back that this guy's increased his yo-yo by you know 
three runs or four runs or whatever it is, yep. or, you know. Would you typically do something like a UU test, or is that just a kind of? No, that would be. Uh, it's usually be. Um, it would have been. It's going back now as far as my research project in college. It would have been. Um, uh, that that was part of my research project. I was looking at the relationship between repeated sprint ability and aerobic fitness in soccer mm-hmm. players. So how I measured the aerobic fitness in a practical sense was the UU AR two. Um. So uh, I. Back then, I did loads and loads of reading around it, and I suppose it's kind of yeah. stuck with me since. I have uh, sometimes used the the one as well, which would look more, I suppose, at fast. You, you run faster, quicker. Yes. You get so it's more of a lactate or you know an anaerobic mm-hmm. type test. I don't think it gives you a true reflection of your aerobic capacity, but um, that would that would be my go-to. Again, it has all the qualities of, I suppose. A, team field sport as well in the sense that it's changing speeds change of direction yeah active recovery it has all those bulk into the test without having to you know focus on it you yeah. see guys that are slow coming off the lane you'll see guys slow turning on the lane you know what that's all for a coach that's all information to say right i don't think it's his f- first two steps in that i think it's when he has to slow down and re-accelerate he's struggling yeah you know, all that's information yeah um yeah, I think that's pretty interesting. Like, uh, the conditioning side of it, I think that's where a lot of people do get a wee bit confused in, in how to do it. But conditioning is is fairly straightforward. W- would you just use, like, would your sessions each week be based on, like, load and, and distances? Um, like, would you progress it as simple as that? Like, just say, for example, week one we're doing 3,000 metres, week two, 3,500. Or, you know, is it as simple as that? Um, it probably is, you know, within that, there might be a wee bit more information when you refer back to GPS and stuff. Yeah. Um, but no, it would be as simple as, you know, like it, it wouldn't be really week to week. You'd be looking five, six weeks ahead mm-hmm. and what you're working back from that. That would be probably what you'd do. Like, so you're thinking, how are we going to get to, you know, we're, we're not just chatting conditioning here you're chatting as a full session and a full week of training you know you're looking at say hypothetically again 40 kilometers this week what percentage of that is conditioning um how do we get there you know are we going to do more game-based approach to get those two or three k per night into them mm-hmm. and just do one running block are we going to do two running yes blocks plus one bout of games just it, it all really depends on you know we're three years down the line now with this management, so again, I'm assuming it's going to be something maybe new or something fresh again. Very rarely have I gone season to season and done the exact same thing. Yeah, and we just have like uh, you know when you're doing drills, is there certain drills that you know we can get one uh, uh, k out of this drill? We can get a you know five hundred meters out of this drill. Is there certain certain dips and different types of drills that you know will will give you a certain distance? There is, um, I suppose. The only reason we know that is obviously we have access or on the night we are training we're wearing GPS. Yes. Not every club team is going to have access mm-hmm. to that. Obviously it benefits when you're going back and work on the club that by giving them that drill, you know they're going to get that on average. Cause, but again, yeah, we would heavily depend on the GPS and that. We would look at distance, the meters per minute as well of that. Um, you know, is it reflective of the game? scenario is it overloading them is it 90 percent of your middle eight there's loads of ways of looking at that and then you would look at the breakdown of you know and again this is not just us this is most sports i would presume this is how they in the gps what if we're targeting 2k 
what percentage of that 2k is at sprint meters what 2k is at high intensity running what yeah. percentage is jogging you know so it gives a bit of a profile again of the guys that are working harder you know yeah. if you were to do a nice graph on you know we're going to all run 2k here who can sprint the most through it you'd yeah. see a nice graph of guys at the top and it would just go like that there would be a you know you would just see guys where they get slower and slower yeah so you know that information uh, as i said we're lucky to get that mm-hmm. not everybody can get it but that would heavily influence what we do every other night or as you said you, you might know what you're, you're going to get out of a drill so if we have a slot and we say we have a, a distance or we have a, an intensity we want to get to you have a draw for it yeah it done. yeah I, th- I think that's it's good to kind of show and let people understand like that's how the top sessions are done and that like every drill has a purpose and there's you know they have an idea of what the distances are and i think that's really really a difference but i think you know hopefully club sessions like you don't necessarily need to have a gps to do that i think just with every drill that you do you know have a kind of reason why like a chat before what you're doing it don't just do it just direct players like yeah. you know have that kind of reason behind it whether it be maybe a bit of aerobic development whether it be maybe more skill development but that really makes a difference i think overall huge huge difference like for like as you said we'll, we'll go back to the the players with the clubs like i think even yourself now i know that you were involved at uh, intercounty coaching and stuff but a lot of players is going out and getting their gps devices yeah. now or they yeah. know they have their watches or whatever it is and they're recording those I type of metrics like there's i wish that uh player tech had to give me a commission code because the <laughs> the boys have messaged me about where to get gps's i think there's maybe in our team there's maybe four or five of us have them like yeah and again and i'm sure every other team's the same yeah. maybe more and again that goes back to like what I was saying about you, you can't bluff anybody now in the gym. Like if you're doing conditioning with the guys in the pitch and they're in their head thinking this is not a plan to my position or it's not a plan to my sport or whatever it may be, already you're losing them a bit. Like, you know, yeah. they have to be able to, you know, maybe even you, as you're coaching them through it, use the lingo like, you know, you know, get off the man's shoulder or, or support yeah. the ball or, you know, for every run they do, how's it a plan to their game, you know? Yeah. And what's a... If you're an individual now in pre-season and you're not part of a county setup and your club maybe doesn't have isn't doing much work you know until it's getting really into the season what can you do conditioning wise to pick, get you in the best shape you know how would you go about it i think probably some of your longer type runs is fairly yeah. good good starting point um what it does is give gives you that base or gives you that volume in your legs again if you're going to go out and go to team training now and you have to do six seven kilometers on the first night your best way is to inch your way towards doing you know 3k 4k 5k um how do you go about doing that do you have to go and run it continuous you can do that kind of interval focused or you yeah. do, you know you're t- 20 seconds 80 percent then back off for 40 you know on a jog and then just have that wee bit of repeat but again i would definitely probably start with more of a volume focus mm-hmm. build on your intensity as you get closer to the pitch go to what we talked about in terms of maybe some of your more speed type work to condition the hamstrings for faster running yeah um get your gym work done all your your injury prevention stuff to again to get your groins hamstrings quads ready for what's coming um and that's basically what your pre-season should be about now if you have any yeah. injuries or anything you need sorted out now's a good time to get that locked in don't be waiting or hanging around yeah get it sorted now all right so basically kind of obviously 
your gym works alongside us here, but in terms of condition, you'd start off maybe somewhere from like three to five k, and you could hit that either if you wanted you could hit intervals you could hit time based or you could hit it if you wanted just the full three five k and then you know as you're getting closer and closer to the season you would probably be reducing that overall volume and maybe increasing intensity so maybe going more towards something like intervals or into your yeah you could you could do like uh, tempo running yourself or if you're really advanced you can maybe do mass running or something yourself exactly you i mean there's i mean there's loads and loads of i suppose practical examples out there yeah. you know, even probably on your own page yeah. and stuff um, there's a couple of great articles on that MAS stuff um, by Dan Baker he'd mm-hmm. be the kind of go to yeah. guy I think um, I can send you on a link but he basically has a six week plan done up over three days for uh, again I think it was written for maybe rugby league guys but you can yeah. that would still be challenging enough for a pre-season for, for gives for you a great players. foundation too like. again he he would tailor his days to like a, a volume day and intensity day and a day is mixed mm-hmm. you know so you could focus again on volume for the first couple of weeks go a wee bit intensity and then as you're coming closer to you know your football you'd have to mix your volume and intensity anyway because that's what it is yeah yeah um we're nearly at the hour here now so i want to i don't want to keep you back any further but the one thing i want to get into which i'm sure most people will be interested in listening about is, is speed development um one thing people always chat about is just getting faster and increasing their speed but there is a difference isn't there between acceleration agility and and that max velocity work can you describe that to people like you know what is the difference between those like say acceleration and max velocity because terms that have thrown about a lot now acceleration is basically getting you know from your starting position um to the maybe 20 30 meter Mark as fast as possible, so that's your acceleration o- over that distance. Again, depending on the athlete and how big, a, you know, without getting too scientific with <coughs> stride length and everything else, but it tends to be for a player to be able to accelerate is to get from whether it be a stand and start or roll and start or you know on their back or off the ground, getting from A to point B, which is twenty or thirty meters away, as fast as possible. What that looks like is more of a horizontal force, as we'll call it. Yes. So it's you're leaning forward and you're pushing down and back into the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, contacts in the ground tend to be long and powerful, which might look slow, but think of your your bounding type activities. Yeah. Really, really good for acceleration. Whereas your max velocity is basically when you're at top speed. So at the end of that acceleration phase, you'll be fast. You'll be getting mm-hmm. fast. So between say well we'll say zero to 30 is your acceleration from 30 to maybe 50 there's a period there where you're trying to run as fast as you can yeah it's your top speed you tend to be more upright in that position you tend to be touching the ground less less contacts um you're still pushing down and back on the ground but your nice cycle action through the legs and then inevitably after that you start to slow down anyway um you can only hold max velocity for so long um i think i, I watched a documentary on Usain Bolt was really interesting and they did the profile of everybody's you know acceleration max velocity and the only difference was he was able to hold his max velocity longer it wasn't that everybody else was getting slower mm, yeah. he just maintained speed longer but what, when everybody else he gets up to a certain point and everybody backs off he's still running faster and then he eventually he slows down too yes but at that stage the damage is done you know so that's probably a, a nice way of looking at it um I like using the analogy. I think I, I got it off maybe Exos, but when you're sprinting, you should be like 
a jet coming off the runway. Mm-hmm. So you start low, put the power yeah. on, and then as you start to take flight, you come more upright, and that's how you would finish out a max velocity effort. Yeah, you know, w- with your speed, again, there's no real magic other than repetition. You know, mm-hmm. to be fast, you need to run fast. Um, whether you go down the more advanced route and you add on some <laughs> resisted type stuff to help you get a feel for, you know, the mechanics and the angles you need to be in, or whether you go down that overspeed route. Um, there's loads of methods out there, but your primary method of sprinting or getting faster when we talk about speed is sprinting yeah it's probably the thing that's least 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 done as well with people like is actually sprinting um which is quite interesting what would uh is it just as simple as doing like a zero to 20 meter sprint you know is it as simple as that or is there sometimes again depending on the level of coaches i you might want to you know work on their mechanics um again it would be maybe secondary method um to improving guys is just making sure again you can go back to your, your functional screening have that nice you know flexion extension through their ankles mm-hmm. uh, through their hips if not you could regress and start with wall drills i think is a, yeah. a great starting point you know you get them to do some maybe holds get them to do some maybe isometrics and then get them to do some maybe switches do and again i'm throwing names of drills out here but yeah. if you want to look them up load and lifts type drills you know to find that again all that, all that really is is get you in a position where you feel you know you're being explosive like i would use that load and lift drill quite frequently because i think it gives the, the guys the feeling of that you know hip extension on your standing leg and that knee drive that uh-huh. punch as they call it and then you add on a switch to that and they know where their feet's meant to cycle underneath the hips that you're not punching out in front or you know you're going on the brakes a bit yeah it's just i would find that and again you would do that in your warm-ups you would do that yeah you know just before you would go into your speed work basically yeah that's how you probably make your warm-up useful is by integrating that stuff into it you know your wall drills and what was that last one you said the load and lift load and lift, load and lift. Yeah. so that's two ones do a wee bit of research do a bit of youtube and them like it, there'll be tons of stuff on that there but um that's all i was going to chat about was sprint mechanics you know there's uh sometimes sprint mechanics can be a wee bit done because once you go down that rabbit hole there's so much there but it is really just keep it simple you know wall drills that uh, load and lift one you're chatting about focus on a few small things and don't try and overcomplicate it for yourself no again as they get more and more advanced i find like the, the higher level athletes would react more to reactions so yeah. if you're just going on the whistle all the time it can get a wee bit monotonous for guys so add on you know chase race type environment or yeah. you know some sort of reaction where you have a guy standing maybe side on or a guy on his knees or you know there's loads yes. of those drills out there i think by just adding that there the nature of you know anybody that's playing sport tends to be very competitive they don't want to come second or anything mm-hmm. um so by just adding in a stimulus like that there i suppose that would take you to the, the next line of speed that you were talking about you know your, your change of direction or your agility i mean change of direction is closely related to speed in terms of a lot of us to do with your movement and your positioning and yeah you know how you lean and where you get your angles right whereas your agility is more how quick can you get into those positions reading a stimulus yes um you know so the an agile player is somebody who reads the game well chances is you know if i, I know he's going there and he changes the direction the last minute how quick can i change how quick can i apply that yeah. change of direction force and again change of direction tends to be more related to your acceleration because it's 
you're on the brakes, you might be at a dead stop, or you might be moving slower because you've decelerated, and then it's that re-acceleration. Yeah. And again, the angles from acceleration apply directly to change the direction. You want to, you know, have what they call a positive shin angle. Mm-hmm. You want your shin kind of align with your upper torso, leaning to where you want to go. Yeah. That might be utilized, you know, with a more of a medial cut or a crossover step, or yeah. you know, again these f- fancy words for getting from A to B as quick as possible. That's what yeah. it is. I think I think most coaches will think about a gel day and just you know it's just typical. Will be a club session. Will be like you run from this cone to that cone and maybe a wee lateral in it. And yeah, it's it's good for change of direction, but you're missing a, a really large part. Like what's probably you know mad is that you would probably be more useful playing a game of tag for agility than you would be by doing that drill. But Definitely, you know, yeah. people just overcomplicate and because you see certain boys do it on YouTube and stuff, you know, uh, you'd be surprised how simple agility drills and stuff can be, you know, when you break it down to what actually is it that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. And again, like if you think how you test the agility you now we're getting kinda of moving on. They used to use a Illinois yes. agility test. Um, you even in the NFL combine, I think they still use the pro agility, which uh-huh. is a five zero five zero or something yeah. called, or a five ten five. Um, I mean, all those drills are change of direction drills. You know yeah. you're going to turn there off your left. You know you're going to turn off your mm-hmm. right. You know you have to sprint through there. I think the rat kind of test is out there now. So it's that reactive agility test. Okay. So you might you know you sprint hard like you accelerate hard for ten meters, and then there's a stimulus in front of you. After right to go through a gate, um, I know since Nick Winkleman came into the air of you, he's going along. You know, he would have been big with the the speed guys in the NFL. You know, exhaust kind of terminology. Yeah. Similarly, th- that's the route they've gone now as well in terms of testing that, and it's basically it's just reaction. Yeah. It's a reaction that you're testing, and I think you can get creative with that too. Like as a coach, you know. It's it's not that difficult. Like it could be as simple as a couple of lads running down and like you shouting left, and they have to go right or something. You know, it's getting people thinking. And then as a coach, you know, if there's any listening, you be creative with it. Like you yeah. know, and that can add a wee bit more fun and excitement to training sessions too. And again, it, it gets competitive. Make it a race. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. R- run them in twos. As a coach, can you try and get some guy to do it wrong so you can have a laugh at him? Yes. You know what I mean? And uh-huh. everybody have a laugh at him. You know, that when you're talking about, you know, get everybody in a nice straight line facing you, have a cone, a red cone and a white cone. Yeah, yeah. Just call red, and then they have to go back through the white, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So again, you can look at a couple of things, the reaction element, there's a change of direction, and then a race. You know, the next time you could say, well, when I say red, I mean white. Yeah, And then yeah. you get them to face the opposite way, and straight away they're, right, where am I going now? And there's always going to be the one that steps out in the wrong colour. Yeah, you know. That there's, I remember doing that as a schoolboy myself. You know, it's it hasn't really changed. That's still. Yeah. I think the key is not to overuse it and sick yes. you guys. You know, with it. Aye. Use it when it's necessary. Like, um, I think to sum up that whole speed thing, I think the acceleration work, you can definitely improve a lot of that with the gym work. You know, that first bit of starting strength. People call it. Yeah. You know, that first because it's long contacts. Uh-huh. Think about, you know. Realistically, even plyometrics now they've shown isn't really going to improve your max velocity because the contact times in the ground are so rapid and short. Uh-huh. There's nothing you can re- replicate. Maybe overspeed type plyos in terms of assisted uh-huh. type jumps, but there's nothing really to replicate that. So where you get your bang for buck and speed is that acceleration. 
been able to apply force yeah and then how fast can you apply it then yeah it's implying that force and then um i think it was i've been reading a lot about uh ryan flaherty um does a lot of work with uh nfl prospects and he's doing a lot of concentric only work because he's looking just to improve their strength to body weight ratio now this is just obviously for sprinting so there's other factors playing there but i think that's an important thing too is you know you're do that do that uh strength work with if your focus is on acceleration and speed, if you're putting on a ton of weight with the strength work, that might not help it either. Yeah. Like no, no, that can happen. Um, I know it's a it's the, a bit old school and saying it'll slow you down. It'll only slow you down if you're not transferring that strength yes. to speed. Um, yes. And again, how do you do that? As you said, you want to you know work on your wall drills. Mm-hmm. Um, how strong is strong enough? Once you have hit that you know that target of being able to squat two times your body weight or whatever target you're using. You know, do you have to chase any more maximum strength after that? Can you just keep on top yeah. of that? Um, keep topping up with your sprints. Yeah, and again, th- there's there's probably enough evidence out there to say that you know there's guys. I think th- your your man Care Wine and Flat mm-hmm. kind of preaches about it. He is like real, 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 real high level sprinters that don't really do that much lifting. Yeah, you know I mean there's a bit of genetics what comes into speed stuff too you have to remember for that like as I think with that max velocity as well it's very much genetic based like you, you probably struggle to improve someone's that, that max velocity because yeah. um, that is just so genetic based but the acceleration which is really where all Gaelic players live is 0 to 20 metres yeah. you can make a lot of improvements in the gym and through doing those accelerations out in the pitch you know so that you can definitely do a lot um, to improve that anyway I think Oh, I'd, I'd agree. And again, bread and butter stuff for, again, now at this time of year for clubs playing championship or, you know what it is, it's, that should be probably every night you should be doing some sort of acceleration work. You have to remember what it is too. It's conditioning for the game in the sense that if you can get in, f- you know, three sets of five high quality accelerations that night of training, you're going to get them in the games. And if you're getting a wee bit of overload, so you're getting a bit of conditioning effect yeah. through, you know, the calf, the hamstring, the hip extension, muscle groups, just in terms of getting you ready for a game too. And it's not, it's not going to really, really fatigue you because it's very, very low volume. I mean, although I've said accelerations from zero to 30, I mean, you could work on your first four steps mm-hmm. and still be acceleration focused. You know, it doesn't have to be 30 meters every time. You could do 10s, 20s, 30s whatever you know even over five i know yeah. some people would test acceleration over five which is for some guys a couple of steps out yeah yeah i, th- I think that's good to, to kind of give people an idea of that there but um th- the last kind of thing i wanted to go over was uh returning to play and rehab and it's on that um like when you're when you start to do this here break your heart when boys will get an injury and not do anything for a week and then go back in and play a game and wonder why they get injured again just kind of briefly maybe describe like the process of returning a player to injury and and why it why you can't just go from zero to 100 from getting injured to not doing anything to playing again um i suppose that's all not completely out of my realm but again uh, you'd work closely with the physio would be the main guy in this process um again it would go back to the the start of you know you most medical teams will have baseline scores and numbers on these guys from early in the season so you know previous injuries is usually the biggest factor for a for an injury Mm -hmm. Uh, you know so it's number one is 
how many times have they injured that you know so w- w- when a player comes and we'll, we'll just use the hamstring for example yeah. if they're returned to play is it your third is it the fourth is it the fifth so his return to play might be different versus somebody who's had an acute hamstring first yes. time you know um basically they'll be again it's all evidence based in the sense that they'll be timeline put in place uh-huh. um the be assessments within that timeline if you speed up what can happen um and you get slightly ahead of that timeline you know they can speed up your return to play but there'll be markers there in place that you know you have to get to 90 percent of your your baseline score that yes. you have this day of the year and if you're not there you're not really the risk is too high you just and again sometimes you have to be aggressive with that you know if there's a b- important games coming up you have to put it to the player you have to put it to the manager is the manager happy is the player happy if you know if they aren't happy and you try and push it you know is it worth that hassle probably not but again it'll come down to markers evidence based markers you know you have to yeah again and again not every club player will have access to that you know in the sense that every night you have a physio being able to do you know check your strength via a handheld dynamometer mm-hmm. or you know go out in the gps and say listen we need you to take off some speed work here we need to get you to yeah. you know somebody who runs in nine meters per second like and they're only running at six and they're saying they're ready to go back in you're saying no you need to you get haven't to, got close to that yet. you have to you know not it's probably not ideal for club players but you can't rush that like as you said if you're only going to get frustrated you need to know when you're right there's this word and i of what i come across it on previous videos but if you have any awareness of an injury chances is you're not ready to play yeah so if you're thinking about it or if you, ah, it's not too bad it's not too bad like yeah but you're thinking about it yeah you know there. the chances of doing that again is already very high so you need guys going out and i mean going hell for leather at their end phase return to play whether that be sprinting whether it be some isometric testing you just need to cut loose and once you see that you know you're pretty confident that they'll have a successful return to play then yeah yeah i think that's important that's one of the things i wanted to kind of chat about because you see it all the time like a club level boys will will get injured and just won't do anything and then step back into training but that's like rest is sometimes not the worst thing you can do but you need a combination of rest but also rebuilding yourself back up so you know if you do that hamstring it's instead of sitting about doing a hunt for a week maybe i do a wee bit of walk and then a wee bit of light jog and then in the day some more of them kind of higher intense intervals doing your rdls and then getting the sprints and then going back into your training but i think people will sometimes just miss that whole process out they do um and again it's more of an education thing there in terms of like yeah. you know it's a wee bit old school to say i'll be all right in 10 days or i'll give it two weeks and i'll be uh. back you know, um, most high performance physios now are aggressive on the rehab end, in the sense that you know you can work up to three out of ten pain on day two or day three of a muscle tear. Now you know where yeah. they're actually you know if it's a hamstring, they'll go straight into lengthening exercises. You know, there's the Asklin protocol out there. Um, I don't know if anybody wants to look it up, but it kind of came out of the, like maybe the Aspartar group. But uh, again, that'll give you a full timeline or a full protocol that you need to tick off before you go ready okay um what's it called again asklin asklin yeah so a-s-k-l-i-n-g uh-huh. i think uh-huh. <laughs> but um it kind of goes through a lengthening phase it goes through kind of an isometric phase goes through a strengthening phase and again it's just 
early rehab or yeah. intervention for like obviously that's for hamstring in particular but um if you're somebody who thinks after tearing it you know you go back to work on the monday and see what's like on tuesday and you go out and try run on if you can't run you go back into the car and go home like you know you're probably not doing yourself any favors at yeah, all definitely not again like that whole thing you're trying to play at the top level and you need to view yourself as an athlete and professional athletes do not do that like no. you know so you need to you need to take a more professional approach to it even if you're not at the county setup um you're doing a wee bit of work at Derry City now then at the moment you're strength conditioning coach for them yeah so uh um we started on there in January so the start of the season basically mm-hmm. um new management team came in um again it came about actually through contacts more than anything yeah uh, Paddy McCourt um is involved in there um worked with Jim McGinnis at Celtic so there right. was a, a small yeah. kind of circle there that I think Paddy had reached out to Jim and Jim had given me a bit of a reference and uh-huh. they kind of came out and um the time now I was a wee bit unsure was going to work given me maybe commitments to Donegal and having my own gym here and everything else but luckily now it's worked out really well um it's great being involved in a different sport as well like it is uh, you know it's a new new thing to research in there and all and new players sport too which is a big thing uh, it's it's an eye-opener for me in the sense that you know these guys come in at half eight in the morning and they go through their movement prep like this is all part of i suppose their job um, this is what they're getting paid to do they, they come in they go through their movement prep it's no different day what, what we encourage our amateur or, or club or county athletes to and um they get ready for they might do a bit of lifting and then they get ready for their their pitch they go into the pitch and I suppose where i'd be envious of them as a as pros is they have the rest of that day you know for recovery you don't lie and sleep <laughs> yeah that, a lot of guys will go back and get so that, you know. uh, was that would that be most days for them like yeah they would normally say on a typical week they would you know they have a game on a friday so you kind of work around that so they have a friday game they would have the saturday off recovery day kind of on a, a sunday monday would be game day plus three so it would be a, a, a what we call a worker mm-hmm. so it would be tend to be a double in the sense that they would do probably their heavy lifting that day post pitch um tuesday they would get off having done the double Wednesday then there would be you know working towards a Friday game you would be yeah. minus two there so you would get a wee bit of uh, power work done in the gym free pitch guys would go to the pitch and then Thursday would just be you know set pieces and yeah you know fairly light and then they would meet up and train on a Friday do they have a gym or are they working out of a place just uh, we have our own high, high performance unit Aye. um small version of this basically so uh downstairs you have a gym upstairs uh, the lads have a bit of a chill out area TV on the wall, table tennis. Yeah. The, the management have a bit of an analysis suite, and the manager has an office up there. So, is this is this all in the new kind of Brandywell Stadium, no, or it's is actually it down in uh, close to Bridge End side? Right. Yeah, down one of the business parks down there. Very good. Um, so that was they have that wee bit of a commute from the morning over, but I mean that's as close as they're going to get in terms of a lot of pro teams is envious of it. Yeah. I have your own gym and your own performance unit like that. Well. I never realised I never realised that they kinda had that uh that setup. Um it must be nice being able to work on that too, like, you know, having everything there for you. It is and it's it just helps that I think cre- creates that culture and that environment. I know like off air we spoke a wee bit about my m- own club team. Like I think a big part of doing collective gym sessions any of the exercises and everything else nearly irrelevant it's the buzz you get from it it's definitely that, it's that culture that you create that getting the tunes pumping everyone's working and aye 
that's the thing. Even if boys are having a chat about, you know, what they did at the weekends or whatever it is, or a missed tackle or a wide ball or a bit of wee bit of, you know, taking a hand at one another, I think it's only good for everybody. And then, you know, maybe at the end of those sessions, you get a wee bit of a buzz on by doing maybe a high-intensity finish or something. And yeah, you know, doing a bit of arm curls. Yeah, and that <laughs> there's what's great about being in a dairy is they kind of that every day. They come in, yeah. you know, they're, 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 they're together every day. Whereas maybe in intercounty football, it's every other day, or even uh, when it comes to the gym work, it's more regionalized and stuff. So, you know, there's some boys you might you only see definitely every other day at training. Yeah. You know, it's, whereas if, if I think if you're together more often, you'll get that more. Hence why you know people go away and bonding sessions and training camps and everything else. It's, it adds to that culture, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a, d- a difference in professionals, like isn't it? Is there much of a difference between the S and C work between soccer and Gaelic, or does it cross over a lot? A lot of crossover to be honest and it goes back to that what we're chatting about all yeah. along doing the basics really yeah. well these guys still need a lot of the same strength qualities they still need to be strong single leg they have a lot of the common injury sites so they need to try and prehab those a lot of the same excuse me high speed r- running type activities in it um the big thing is probably the structure of when you do that is easier mm-hmm. you know you work closely with the, the coaching staff in there in the sense that we know monday's a strength day so he'll have certain things to do in the pitch that'll that'll make it a more of a strength focus pitch session i.e. they might do more 6v6 yeah. small set of games you know to load up the quads and hamstrings and stuff and then we, when we come into the gym then we can really hammer the same muscle groups um, whereas you know in GAA you're sometimes you have to be more reactive than proactive mm-hmm. you know some gym sessions you know scheduled maybe for midweek but things, you know, on the Tuesday night, you ran over time or, you know, the pitch was heavy and stuff and you're coming in and try to target maybe some power and you're like, it's not going to happen today. You know, whereas with professional sport, that's nearly a a constant, you know, it's a certainty. These boys are going to come in in a state that you have control of. Yeah, or like, I suppose with county as well, some lads might have had a match the night before, some some lads might have been playing Sigerson or something, you know, there's so many things you have to account for, whereas... Some boys are coming in after a day's work off a site and uh-huh. they're s- soaked through to the bone, like, and uh-huh. they're coming in, you know, the energy mightn't be there at all. Again, you, as a coach, you need to know, right, maybe we don't chase the that bit of power of the day, we'll just do a wee bit of volume and just try and get a bit of feel-good going here again, like... Uh-huh. It's it is you know, chatted about in the past couple of podcasts. It's mad that Gaelic now is not like players are the only ones that aren't getting uh payment out of it. I know there's expenses and there's different perks and all, but it is crazy, like it's it's a huge commitment. Absolutely huge commitment. But the one thing I would say is like in the six years I've been involved, I don't think I ever once heard a complaint. No, that's the thing, I think it's everyone literally they're so driven and so I mean it's a very unique thing like isn't it it is it's very very patriotic like in the sense that and i think that was something to try and instill this year in Derry, you know and through deck and divine i think he, he's done a decent job at it where he's encouraged people to be proud to play for Derry city you know yeah. that it's a city like no other in terms of uh, the, uh, the soccer in ireland i mean given the troubles in the past and everything that has come through it uh, you've been so far north you yeah. know, essentially been in Northern Ireland and not playing in the Northern Irish League. Yeah. Stuff like that there where it gives the, the club a bit of a, I suppose, a wee bit of a symbol, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, um, he's tried to do that this year. Some players is definitely, you know, hook, line and sinker, just 
has gone with him on that, you know. I think one of the first things they did was did a tour of Derry, you know, right. with those players. Went down to the bog side and, you know, they talked about culture within the city and how you're representing those people. Yeah. And, like, I had that conversation with some of the players earlier. I said, that's what you get with GA every time you go out. Yeah. They're doing it for loved ones. They're doing it for families. They're doing it for, you know, that's that's all they do it for. I know. It's, uh, it's absolutely amazing, like. Uh, it's crazy, like, especially whenever other people come over and they don't they don't understand that like it is it's a very unique thing and you know maybe like if they'd go professional maybe that would leave or maybe it would ruin i don't know i don't know if it would but it's um it's going to be an interesting debate over the next couple of years like i think it's going to only become um more common that kind of question like i think so i think so <laughs> luckily i'm not going to get involved in that <laughs> as i said i don't think the players are speaking openly about it anyway I think again when it comes to the business end of the year and again I've been very lucky I've been a part of big days with Donegal it's I suppose there's that incentive there and you'll get back to an Ulster final and by god like after you won an Ulster final the couple of days you have after they're just like their their memories that you'll have for the rest of your life they're they're absolutely amazing times yeah. like and sometimes you know you think uh, if the, the players thought they were going to get that every year hey, they would do it no problem uh, it's something else like whenever there's you know that packed out, uh, packed out Ulster final or Croke Park on All Ireland semi final final day. You know you could be professional, I suppose, playing for uh, an Irish soccer team, but you'll never get that level of attendance and that uh, feeling throughout the whole country. Like it's something completely different. So so unique, like it's so unique. And I think like you know when you, I, I think I, I I made a picture up on my Instagram or something like, but it's one of the the things for me like going back to. Donegal Town after one and the thing and then having the cups up in front of you like and at this stage you have a couple of beers on you and you're just taking it all in you're looking out like and there's this is a, a Sunday night like at 11 o'clock and there's infants up in people's arms uh-huh. and like there's you're just like jeez these people are just this is really really big 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 deal to them like you know and uh-huh. I, I probably when I'm outside of that group and outside of that bubble hopefully I'll be one of those people in the, the crowd like with you know my m- m- own son but it's um when you see that that level of commitment from the supporters and stuff, I suppose for the players too, and it's often be said in the circle, you know, that you, know, you have to remember the reason you pull on the jersey. It's it's for the people. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, that's it. Like it's a it's an amazing thing. I think we chat a lot about this here side of it. You know, the strength, condition, recovery, all that. But really, it it does come down to you're just playing because you want to represent people in your area and and make them proud. Like it's. It's a it's a strange thing, but it's an amazing thing too. Like, oh, it's absolutely amazing. It really yeah. is. Like, um, I think we'll 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 end it there. I've I've one very important question left. Who has the biggest bench in the Donegal senior <laughs> team? <laughs> uh, are, are you allowed to tell me? Relatively or absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, Hugh McFadden. Hugh McFadden. What are we talking? I think he's good for a hundred and thirty. <laughs> That's big. That's big. That's what the people want to hear. Yeah, no, that's not a target for any any uh, spare and uh, county midfielder yeah. right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, that's years and years of hard work there. Uh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> um, Paul, that was brilliant. That was an hour and a half. I think we could chat probably for another hour and a half about that stuff. But um, I think it was really useful for anyone that's you know. Uh, I guess who who can come to this here place, your centre, and who's the sort of person would want to come here? Like, well, like I suppose, 
anybody that wants to reach out and come down and have a look is more yeah. than welcome um, if they want to get in touch with myself or my colleague Declan Gallagher look us up on Twitter or Instagram mm-hmm. both of our business Facebook pages as well um, you just want to give us a shoot us through a message and we can work around our schedules and no different to yourself coming down today for the look around yeah anybody's welcome down for a, a bit of a chat or yeah I think the brilliant thing about here if you have an injury or something you have the gym right beside to do your do your physio work you can do your strength work in here it really is a kind of all, all in one shop like so I think if you're around this area it's definitely a, a good place to call down to so we're Leather Kenny here we're, we're pretty close to Derry City as well aren't we yeah, like? we're not yeah, that far about 20 minutes yeah about that yeah um and then facebook instagram i'll try and uh, link them all in the descriptions but um thanks very much much appreciated thanks for coming out